Hello, uh, welcome to the podcast. This is Sean Parker. Uh, today we'll be uh, reviewing and summarizing the um, Cash Flow Quadrant book um, written by Robert Kiyosaki. Uh, Robert Kiyosaki uh, was the founder of Rich uh, Global LLC and the Rich Dad Company, um, which is an essentially a private financial education company. Uh, that just provides education about businesses and how to create wealth. Um, uh, and he is most famous for um, writing his book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which uh, I have reviewed earlier uh, as uh, this term's one of five books. Um, the premise of the book essentially is breaking up the financial um, quadrants into four sub-quadrants. Um, he believes that um, in the financial world, um, a singular person is either a quad one, which is an employee, uh, quad two, which is a self-employed or a small business owner, uh, quad three is a big business owner, and quad four is an investor. Um, to help you understand, to help the audience understand what I'm talking about, um, I'm going to let language kind of um, guide us to listen and hear for what these might sound like. So a little bit of a deeper definition of these. Uh, Robert Kiyosaki explains that a uh, first quadrant is known as an employee. They often say things like, I am looking for a safe, secure job. Um, that has excellent pay and benefits. Um, and a little background on that. I know I touched on that on uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad summary, but the whole word of secure um, that comes from mostly fear. Um, you know, people in the E quadrant often let their emotions um, guide them away from what truly makes people successful. Um, they don't believe in uh, risking money um, and, and stuff like that. Uh, quad two is known as the S quadrant, the self-employed. Um, they often say things like, my rate is $75 per hour, right? These are the people that are, you know, lawyers, doctors, um, you know, self-employed, or anyone with a small business. The B quadrant, or quad three, is the big business owner. They say things like, uh, I'm looking for a new president to run my company. Uh, big business owners, um, they often hire uh, people in the S and E quadrants to run their businesses um, because they put trust into um, others to help run their business and the quad four which is the investor quadrant um, say things like uh, is my cash flow based on internal rate of return or net rate of return um, they essentially have and follow the concept of money works the rich not the other way around um, Robert Kiyosaki had two dads. Um, one, his biological dad, which he calls and references to poor dad. Uh, and he also had a mentor dad um, who goes by rich dad. Um, his poor dad, 
uh, told him to settle in the uh, quad one and quad two, uh, which is the employee and self-employed quadrant. Um, this was often the what he calls following the script. You know, most people go to school, go to college, get a job um, as either a doctor or a lawyer, and they find themselves stuck in the uh, quad one and quad two side. While his rich dad argued that after college, Robert should start a business and use his business to become an investor, which would put him in the B and I quadrant. And now, just before we move on, um, what I noticed about Robert um, is that, you know, many people would say that, oh, he's too, uh, you know, he talks too much about money or he, you know, he doesn't care about anything else but money. But um, in his book, um, he does uh, state that uh, the reason why he talks a lot about money is because it allows him freedom. It allows him the ability to spend time with his family. Um, it allows him to travel the world. Um, and this is why he's so, he preaches this way of thinking because he sees so many people stuck in the same way of thinking of you have to go to a college, you have to find a safe, secure job, you have to climb the corporate ranks, you have to pay all your taxes to the government. And, and he sees this, you know, as what we call his references, the rat race. Um, and essentially, Robert's philosophy is, is breaking that system. Now, moving on to uh, the specifics of the cash flow quadrant book, um, he's, he recommends that in order to create long-lasting wealth, that you stick to the big business owner and investor side. Um, and he explains some ways how you can get there. Uh, the three main big business systems that he mentions and references is, uh, one, uh, a traditional seed corporation where you develop your own system. Uh, option two would be to franchise uh, by an existing, existing system. And option three would be uh, network marketing, is where you um, buy into uh, and become part of an existing system. And those are three ways that he recommends um, becoming a B quadrant. Um, and then following the B quadrant, he explains how he feels the levels of investors um, break up into. Um, and he preaches that investing is what really makes you rich, and investing is what you is what truly sets you free. Um, so the five levels of investing that he uh, that he mentions is level one, which is the zero financial intelligence level. Uh, these are the ones who simply make money and, and spend it. Right, they have no financial intelligence whatsoever. The level two um, is what he calls the savers are losers, uh, people who only save their money. And Robert talks about in this in this segment that money is essentially worthless. 
money is worthless unless it is used. People that save the you know save the dollar, save money, is actually they're only losing money. They don't gain anything from it. It's just a piece of paper. It's just something on your financial statement. It doesn't truly mean anything unless it is used to buy things like assets. Um, level three is the I'm too busy level. Um, these are the people that say they're uh, too busy to learn how to invest and often um, turn their money over to mutual funds. Um, because they don't have the time. Uh, level four is the I'm a professional. Um, these are the do-it-yourself. You know, these is what this is what the, the this is the level that most people find themselves at, um, where they make their money and they put that money into something like real estate. Um, level five is is one of the hardest levels to reach. Um, it is called the capitalist level. Um, this is where the richest people in the world lie. Um, they use tactics like OPM, which is uh, other people's money. Um, they do this by raising capital uh, from others to invest uh, for benefits. Um, they uh, use a team um, and a strategic system to invest. Um, and those are the five levels. Um, now, you obviously must start at level one, and we all do. And we essentially work our way up. Um, but the premise of what he explains as big business and, you know, levels of investing, the whole reason why he does that is this book is not, this, this book is not really meant to, you know, tell you exactly how you're going to create wealth. It's a book about how, it's a book about where you are. It sets out the foundation of the financial world, world, and it helps you understand where you are because a lot of times people get stuck in a paradigm, uh, a perception of things, and they don't seem to grasp the bigger picture. And what Robert's trying to do in this book is explain to people the different ways of thinking um, and how to the different ways of uh, thinking about wealth, um, and also helping people, you know identify a certain quadrant or a certain level of investing. And this essentially helps people move from quadrant to quadrant or level to level in order to create that um, freedom. Um, Robert concludes with a list of seven steps um, to start recognizing where to uh, find yourself in a quadrant or how to go from quadrant to quadrant. Uh, step one is mind your own business. Step two is to take control over your cash flow. Cash flow is defined as passive income, you know, money that you earn from things like investments and real estate. <clears throat> uh, the difference between uh, risk and risky. Uh, decide what investor you want to be. Uh, sorry, those were three and four. Uh, step five would be to seek mentors. Mentors is something that Robert really um, likes to talk about because it's so important um, in, in no matter what industry or what business you are. Uh, and then, uh, step six would to be make this appointment your strength. And step seven is to simply believe. Uh, 
Um, I leave you uh, with this quote. Uh, pay the price today so you can pay any price tomorrow. Thank you. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today I will be uh, reviewing and summarizing um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad um, by Robert Kiyosaki. Uh, Robert Kiyosaki uh, is the founder of Rich Global LLC uh, and the Rich Dad Company, which is a private financial education company um, that provides essentially education for how to run businesses and how to invest. Um, Rich Dad Poor Dad is perhaps one of his most famous books, um, and you know has sold over 3.5 million copies, um, and it has really awakened many people um, in the world, um, and it sure has awakened me on um, the different ways of thinking about how to create uh, long-lasting wealth. Um, in this book, we follow Robert Kiyosaki and his quest to manifest wealth. Um, he has, uh, the premise is, he has a rich dad, a biological father, uh, who he referenced as a poor dad, um, and his best friend's dad, um, who is known as the rich dad, is essentially his mentor. His poor dad believes in the standard go-to-college, go-to Uh, Go to high school, go to college, get a secure job, um, climb the corporate ranks. Um, While, on the other hand, the rich dad doesn't believe that the skills required to create wealth is not found in this way of living. So Robert Kiyosaki is essentially caught in the middle of two philosophies, two worlds, two dads. And he does tell the readers that he learns many valuable lessons from both. You know, although his rich dad um, taught him, you know, the majority of what he knows about how to create wealth, his poor dad did um, help him with... um, with some other things. Um, Some of the main topics uh, that we'll cover today uh, about the book, um, I'll just just read one and then we'll kind of dive deep into that one and then so on and so on. Um, One of the main topics is the, the, the quote, the rich have money work for them. Again, the rich have money work for them. Now, mostly people think that it's the opposite, right? the rich work for money. However, Robert Kiyosaki defines this philosophy as you can't actually see money with your eyes. It's not something you see. It's something you think about. What what he means by this is that what rich and what the wealthy do is they acquire assets. And this moves down to our main another main uh, topic today, which is the rich acquire assets, while the poor and middle class acquire liabilities. Now, the biggest thing that we need to get clear in this podcast is the difference between an asset and a liability. 
an asset creates passive income and creates cash flow that creates long-lasting wealth. And the whole idea of passive income is that you have money work for you. You could be running a business, but by having investments in real estate, you practically gain money and you earn money nearly tax-free, not to mention, from sitting around. And that's what he means by the rich have money work for them. And now back to this thing about assets and liabilities. Um, the often poor middle class, um, you know, generate their income. And straight from their income, out goes the money into things like cars um, and even houses. Yeah, that's right, houses. Robert Kiyosaki talks a lot about how your house is actually one of your worst investments. This is because a house is not a, an asset. It's a liability. You know, there's a quote, who, the, the game of money is whom is indebted to whom. And if we follow that philosophy, your home is a liability because it's causing money to pour out of your pockets. And that's what a liability is. An asset would bring money in your pockets. Um, another main topic that um, Robert Kiyosaki talks about is, is the idea of being financially literate. He believes that to play the game of money, to play the game of the financial world, you have to, just like the way people play football, you need to know the rules, you need to know the language, you need to know the plays. And, and, and he, he wants people to see it in that way. Um, he also talks a lot about in his chapters uh, the importance of investing in yourself. You know, this is a pretty, you know, obvious thing, but the biggest asset that you have is your mind. You know, instead of pouring $10 into something that doesn't matter, he preaches that you pour $10 into a book that will benefit your education. So he, he although he preaches all this stuff about you know, real assets, you know, his main kind of philosophy is putting time and money into your biggest asset, which is actually yourself, your mind. Um, and, and to kind of add on to that, your, with your mind, your mindset is also uh, a big thing um, about, about the language that you, that you tell yourself. Um, there's a great quote in the book. It's he said, "Don't say I can't afford it. Say how can I afford it?" Um, and it's this idea of using language um, to almost manifest uh, the wealth that you want. Um, and as I mentioned in the cash flow uh, quadrant by Robert Kiyosaki uh, earlier uh, that you have uh, maybe not yet listened to or already listened to. Uh, the premise uh, 
and his philosophy is understanding how to get out of the rat race, um, which is what most uh, people in the world find themselves in. Um, personally, I thought this book was very helpful. Um, I thought it was well written. Um, I thought it was very easy to understand. Although it's a little bit, there are some parts that are, um, <clears throat> in a, in some parts of the book that were a little irrelevant to today's time because now that you know laws have changed and and the economy has changed, um, uh, I felt that it was a little inaccurate. But that's what happens when you write a book, um, you know, about this topic of wealth and the dynamic of wealth changes throughout throughout the years. But Overall, I thought it was a it was a well written book. Um, it really showed you step by step and a breakdown of what it takes to actually become wealthy. And you know, there's a quote again: a person can be highly educated, educated, um, but financially illiterate. Um, so the whole meaning of it's not just about going to high school, going to college, and getting a job and following that track. It's not just about that. Right, people um, so focused in school, but they also need to focus on financial literacy and financial intelligence because, in the end, that is what is what's going to really help us when we're when we're uh, older. Um, and these are things that I feel uh, strongly that we should teach uh, at a young age, as I'm learning in high school. Uh, I would a hundred percent recommend this book to anyone seeking any type of knowledge about. Uh, the financial world. Uh, I know that this was a very short podcast, but this book has so much about financial literacy that it's just very hard to tap into uh, when you're on a, a you know, five, ten minute uh, podcast. Um, so I would definitely recommend this book. Um, thank you for tuning in, and I will see you next time. Good evening and welcome to the podcast. Um, today I will be covering uh, You Gotta Have Balls by Brandon Steiner. Um, Brandon Steiner was born on June 23rd, 1959. Uh, he's a sports marketer um, and he is the founder uh, and CEO of Steiner Sports. A little bit about his background, he attended the Martin J. Whitman School of Management at Syracuse University, um, and he was born uh, in Flatbush, Brooklyn, New York. Uh, you Gotta Have Balls uh, is, uh, was written, uh, as the author says, because, uh, you know, he kept getting asked these questions of how did he start the business and how did he go from being nearly broke to earning $40 million in revenue. Um, and he actually started Steiner um, uh, Sports with only $4,000. So let's wind it back to his beginning stage. Um, so he grew up in a very poor neighborhood. Um, he was one of many uh, uh, brothers uh, in the house. Um, and when he was younger, uh, he ran a paper route. Um, and throughout the book, he mentions these small little things that kind of led him and taught him um, to be who he is and, and, and to be successful. Um, so he ran a paper route, um, and 
he told he tells a story about how he would run around the neighborhood five hours a day and no one would sell his uh no one would he, he couldn't sell anything no one would no one would buy his papers no one would 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 um would do that um and so his mom gave him two lessons once he realized once this happened to him uh, his lesson one was to to have, you have to differentiate yourself. Um, his mom told him to think about what else you can do and what other people don't have that you do. Uh, lesson two was to stop selling and start solving. Um, and she often asked him, how are you going to help people? Um, so he told this interesting story about how he, um, you know, the next day he went back and he started delivering milk and bagels with his paper route. Um, and he ended up becoming one of the most well-known paper boys in the neighborhood. Um, and so that was his first um, step uh, and sense of knowledge about what it takes to be successful. Um, <clears throat> He then worked at a coffee shop. Uh, he moved his way to uh, working at a coffee shop, um, where he learned a very another very uh, very valuable lesson, which was to uh, never ask a yes or no question, but to always ask a yes or yes question. Um, he told a story about how one day he was walking around the coffee shop, and instead of you know, no one, nothing was selling, um, but he held a, a coffee cup and a cup of orange juice, and he would always ask, would you like coffee or orange juice? It's like a yes or yes question, um, which ended up booming his coffee shop, um, and that was a, another lesson that he learned um, at a young age. Um, and then he then got a job at the Hard Rock Cafe, um, where he also learned another uh, valuable lesson, um, and that was um, to bet on yourself. Uh, so that day when he went to the Hard Rock Cafe uh, opening, or when he was getting hired for a job, um, they gave him a job that he definitely didn't want. Um, and he went up to the manager, and he actually said, give me a manager spot, um, and if you don't like me, and if you want me in five months, then fire me. Um, and so they hired him, and he ended up staying there way longer than five months. But what he learned was to bet on yourself, to believe in yourself. Um, and he actually, for the first couple uh, months, I believe, he worked for free. Um, so it's this idea of uh, not letting greed um, get, over, get the best of you. Then uh, he later on, uh, after all of these lessons, he um, was actually a, um, a public speaker. Um, something kind of like Ted uh, is, what, is what he moved on to next. Uh, and this is where he learned another valuable lesson, which was uh, approach. Uh, what do you do when no one's looking? Uh, he told this neat story of when um, it was his first ever public gig and there was about 500 people there um, and he was the last uh, speaker 
And by the time they got to uh, uh, Brendan Steiner, um, there was about 35 people left. Um, and But he treated those 35 people as if there was a thousand people. Um, and that's where he learned um, to the philosophy and the question, the big question of what do you do uh, and, and how do you approach uh, the certain situations when nobody's looking. Um, the book uh, basically can be summarized as uh, the lessons that he learned uh, as a child uh, and as a young adult. Um, personally, um, the book was not what I thought it would be. I thought it would be more of a kind of a, a longer journey and more of like a step-by-step -step process of how he built his company. And, and although I do like the book, um, you know, I just want to critique it in a way, in an honest way. And um, I thought the book would be about um, more on the topic of how he built his corporation and how he grew it to $40 million in revenue a year. Um, instead, the book was more about uh, lessons that he learned um, when he was a kid through experiences and um, the morals and values that um, brought him um, to where he is, which is definitely more, probably more important than um, the step-by-step -step process of, of how he built his corporation. Um, for anyone looking for any business, uh, uh, advice, and, and, and this is an autobiography, um, I wouldn't really recommend this book. Um, I, I think there's a lot more books out there that, um, dive, uh, definitely dig deeper, um, into, into these topics. Um, but again, uh. Thank you for listening, and I will see you next time. Um, just a quick add-on. Um, I forgot to mention this in the full-length podcast, but Cashflow Quadrant is was my book of choice. Um, and um, overall, it was um, definitely one of the better books that I've read before. Um, I would 100% thumbs up uh, recommend this book to anyone seeking um, a deeper understanding of the financial world um, and uh, uh, anyone who's looking for, you know, uh, how to invest, what to invest in, what makes a good investor, who you are as an investor, I would 100% um, recommend this book. Uh, just a quick uh, extension onto the Rich Dad Poor Dad podcast. I forgot to mention um, that this book was a uh, genre of a autobiography. Um, although it was kind of like a financial help book, it did uh, tell, the majority of the book was telling Robert's story and um, his kind of rise to wealth. Um, so, yes. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today we will be reviewing and summarizing Tough Juice by Karen Butler. Uh, a little bit of background about Karen Butler. Uh, he played in the NBA uh, for uh, a 
a wide range of teams, um, but just to name a few of them, I played for the the Heat, the Lakers, the Clippers, and the Thunder. There's some big names. Uh, he was raised in Wisconsin, <clears throat> uh, and he had a, a rough, a very rough childhood. Um, at age 12, he was arrested uh, you know, 15 times before the age of 15. Um, um, but uh, the book kind of covers um, kind of how he went from that point in life to, um, you know, having a net worth of about $23 million, um, running companies, investing companies, um, and <clears throat> being a uh, NBA star. Um, he attended the University of Connecticut. Um, Butler was also a lottery pick in the 2002 NBA draft, where he was selected 10th overall by the Miami Heat. Um, he, after his career as a uh, NBA player, um, Butler released his autobiography, uh, which was uh, entitled Tough Juice, uh, My Journey from the Streets to the NBA, which is what we will dive into right now. Um, just a, another quick note, uh, Tough Juice, um, uh, reading up on the author, he explains that it was almost therapeutic for him. Um, he felt the need to tell his story because he knew so many people could relate to his story um, and he needed to get his story off his chest in order to feel a sense of fulfillment. So although the book covers uh, you know, his life from you know, being arrested at age 12 to being a millionaire, um, at, you know, at, uh, becoming a millionaire at age 30, um, for me, my big takeaways, I, I, I break up the, the big takeaways in this book into uh, three three categories. Um, one, which is leadership, is a topic we'll, copy, uh, we'll, we'll cover today. Uh, two, uh, his business and investing advice. And uh, three, which was his performance, performance advice. Um, so anything about his story... Uh, anything about his life falls under these three categories, and these are the categories that really changed his life. So we'll dig deep into the leadership category. So at a very young age, all he knew was the streets. And leadership, right, can be a negative or a positive thing. And, and, and at a young age, leadership was a bad thing. Um, he had, you know, he was following drug dealers because those are the people that he aspired to be because that's all he knew the drug dealers were his leaders um, and it wasn't until he went to MCI prep school uh, where his coach told him um, and really believed in him um, and this was the first time that um, he felt the true sense of leadership and the positive leadership that many of us experience in our day-to-day -day lives and this is where his life really started to change. Um, this is where the coach really believed in him. Um, and, and this is where Butler began to believe in himself. Um, and, and, and he experienced true mentorship and leadership with this prep school coach. Um, to quote uh, Butler, he says, A true leader inspires you to be a better version of yourself. 
Once he was drafted to the Miami Heat organization, uh, he fell under the coach Pat Riley, which is a very famous NBA coach, uh, known as the godfather of the NBA, actually. Um, he taught him lessons about how to prepare for anything. And this was another set of leadership um, that he experienced under Pat Riley. So what Pat Riley did was not only taught him how to prepare for games, uh, but he taught him how to prepare for really anything, prepare for life. Um, um, and, and he taught him that sports is often a reflection of life. Uh, you know, sports consist of discipline, Consistency, accountability, these are all things that we um, experience in our day-to-day lives. Uh, another form of uh, leadership that really resonated with him and really changed his life and his perception of the world, which was uh, which is his family leadership. Uh, he believes that true, fa- true leadership comes from the family. Um, it comes from his family legacy. Uh, he talks a lot about how what really motivated him was understanding the leadership that his family um, had on his, you know, his heritage. Um, how his family fought, his heritage fought through uh, slavery and segregation uh, and racism. And, and through all of that, yet still found a way to be happy and succeed. Um, and that was kind of his, his motivation, and that's what, what um, where he saw the greatest example of leadership was within his family. Um, another topic that um, covers his life, which was more so on the, um, after all of this happened and after the NBA, um, which is where he explains, uh, and, and my big takeaways is um, his business and investment advice. Um, so one thing that he that he talks a lot about is uh, he wants people to understand that you must invest in industries that you are passionate about. Um, I, I, I remember seeing that a lot throughout the book um, and how passion is everything. Passion is, is what got him off the street to the NBA and to becoming a millionaire, a multimillionaire. Um, and, he, and he applied those same principles to investing. He didn't invest in things that um, people told him to or that looked good. He invested in things that were, he, he was passionate about. Um, he also explains that um, in really life, leadership, business, investing, whatever, having the right people around you uh, is, is really key because they say that, you know, you embody the, the five closest people you surround yourself with. And through business um, and after the NBA, he learned a very valuable lesson that he that he shared with us throughout the book, which which really resonated with me, um, which was that uh, materialistic things don't matter. You know, Butler explains that money shouldn't change you, uh, and, and how Butler actually used money to help uh, uh, others see their dreams. Um, and the next topic uh, is peak performance, um, which is a, a, a topic that uh, I saw throughout the, or a main theme that I saw throughout the book. 
um, and he saw and he and he uh, talked about the consistency consistency uh, in performance, um, not just in the NBA, but uh, also in business and in family. Um, that he he talks about how uh, in order to perform, you must believe in yourself. You must be passionate, as I said before. Um, and he, I'll leave him with a quote, um, but he said, he said, adversity is a sign telling you that there's another way. That's a quote that really resonated with me. Um, overall, I thought this was a really good book. Um, it was a great story, a great um, autobiography about um, Caroline Butler. Um, anyone seeking kind of a racks to riches story um, that also includes a lot of financial advice. I would 100% recommend this book. Uh, I thought it was well written. Um, it wasn't um, significantly hard to read. Um, um, but yeah, again, I would I would definitely recommend this book. Um, and um, yeah, I'll see you next time. Hello, um, and welcome to the podcast. Um, today we'll be reviewing and summarizing uh, the seven habits of highly effective people written by Stephen Covey. Um, he was born in Salt Lake City, Utah on October 24th, 1932. Uh, he earned his Bachelor of Science degree uh, in, the, in business uh, administration from the University of Utah. Um, and he also earned an MBA from Harvard Business School um, at Harvard University. Um, he's an author, a businessman, a keynote speaker, um, and his most popular uh, book and what it's famous for is writing The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Now, before... I would say half of the book sets up the seven habits and the rest of it is explaining the seven habits. So to set up the seven habits, I need to put some things into perspective. The book opens up with this idea of the personality ethic versus the character ethic. Now, the people that are reading this book, just like myself, are trying to find change within our lives. We're trying to find a source of um, productivity, uh, a source of effectiveness within our life. And now, before you even, I could memorize the seven habits of highly effective people. But yeah, if I don't understand this concept, our concept of the personality ethic or character ethic, then it all goes to waste. You see, the difference is the personality ethic are those that act in the facade. The people that often try to dress and sound um, and act as if they are one thing when in reality they're not. And that eventually catches up to people. And you can never truly experience change and effectiveness if all you're doing is pretending. You see, the seven habits of, of highly effective people only work unless you operate in the character ethic. 
The character ethic are those that change their character and who they truly are for the sake of creating new habits, becoming more effective. To kind of sum up that and maybe help listeners understand what I'm saying, there's a quote in the book. Who you are speaks louder than your words. I'll repeat. Who you are speaks louder than your words. If you can understand this philosophy, that's more important than even understanding the seven habits. Who you are speaks louder than your words. It's something that I've been living by ever since I read this book. Because what people need to understand is that, yes, people may preach that your uh, words or a, uh, a show your character. When in reality, I feel as if, like this quote says, who you are speaks louder than your words. Because who you are as a person will resonate with people more than just simply what you say. Think about someone you trust. Why do you trust that person? Think about a significant other or a family member or a best friend and keep that person in mind. Why do you trust them? Why? I'll tell you why. Because who they are speaks louder than your words. It's not what they say, how they act, what they do. It's who they are. Who they are, it, it, it's almost like a, the, the, we're almost getting into spirituality. I'm not trying to get into that too much because there's nothing to do with the book, but who you all will resonate with people. Um, another thing to go over is um, paradigm shifting. Now, there's no possible way I could explain paradigm shifting in the span of a couple minutes, but I will do my best. Paradigm shifting is easy to comprehend, yet it's so complex to actually execute that it's such an important skill that not everyone knows because it's so hard to achieve. And now yet they can be, paradigm shifts come in, another way to phrase it is perception shifts. Um, They can come in small doses or big doses. They could be a simple aha moment in class um, or there could be a spiritual awakening. And now it's only until you gain this power, gain the knowledge, and gain the uh, skill to switch perception and understand the power of perception, only until then will you understand these seven habits. Because the way we see the problems in life is actually the problem. It's not actually the obstacle. It's the meaning you give the obstacle. So with these uh, uh, themes uh, in mind, I would like to quickly, briefly go over these seven habits. Um, Number one is to be proactive. Um, This one's very important. It simply states that to be effective, you need to be proactive. Um, In a situation and in a a dilemma, 
is either people that are reactive uh, or those are people that are proactive. The reactive people often just react. They go by instincts. They are go by emotion and they, they, they choose radical decisions. Right? The reactive people don't really think about their actions. They kind of just do. And they kind of just let the world control them. Whereas the proactive people control their world. They control how they feel. They control how they react. They control the outcome. Because like I said before, it's not the obstacle that's the problem. It's the meaning you give the obstacle that's the problem. Uh, habit two is begin with the end. Um, to kind of sum up this, the book um, gives us a little bit of a, um, a uh, kind of a, you know, almost something to think about while we're reading. Um, and, it, and, and it explains that, you know, close your eyes and visual your funeral. And I know it's very, very deep and harsh, but for a second, while you're on this podcast, close your eyes and just think about your funeral. Visualize who's there, who's in the front row. Once you have this image in mind, you're ready to move on. Now, pick five people who are deeply close to the date closest people in your life, five closest people in your life. And now write down what they're going to say. Write down what they're going to say about you. And write down what they're going to say about who you are and how you influence them. If you can understand these, and if you can point out what you want them and what you would like them to say, and if you have that kind of end, that end goal in mind, that's the whole thing about begin with the end, right? It's the idea of what do you really value in life? And instead of focusing on that later, focus on that now. Identify who you want to be in the future and what you want to have in the future and start with that. And if you can understand if you can understand this exercise, then you have the second um, habit in, in place. Uh, number three, uh, put things first. Um, this is a, a pretty easy one. It's just prioritizing, um, and it's just being consistent on a day-to-day action um, and putting what's most important in your life uh, in front. And you know, the book explains that there's no such thing as as time management. It's it's, it's actually about prioritizing, you know, uh, technically, but that, that's the way I see it, and also that's the way the book helped me see it, right, if you look at the so-called time management, it's not actual time management, it all has to do with priorities, when people say, oh, I have time management problems, it's not time management problems, they actually have priority, priority problems, they have a hard time prioritizing the right things. Um, think to win um, is another simple one. Is just to establish um, inter interdependent uh, relationships to work with one another.
Uh, number five, uh, seek first to understand, then to be understood. Um, this is another important one. Um, it follows the idea um, that in order to provide solutions um, for your life and for others, you first must understand um, the perceptions and premise and um, story uh, of those around you. Number six is to synergize. Uh, again, this kind of falls under the idea of interdependence by understanding uh, the values and perception of others um, to help us um, actually have alternative uh, possibilities. Um, the last one um, is very important, is sharpen the saw. Now, what does sharpen the saw mean? Um, to me, um, the book uh, portrayed the message that Sharpening the saw means you have to be able to have to be to become a new you. You must be able to be disciplined enough to renew who you are physically, spiritually, and mentally, and even socially. Habit. Seven is, it's about taking the time to not only understand who you are, but how you're going to get there, and leaving behind the old you, and leaving room and growth for the new you. By far, out of the five books, this was my absolute favorite. Um, if there was one that, if, if there was one book out of the five that I would recommend to anyone, it would be 100% be this book. Um, it doesn't matter who you are, what you want in life, where you are in life, how old you are, none of that matters. This is such an important book, and it goes over so many important concepts um, that every human should understand uh, and every human can comprehend this book and with that it's going to help so many people um, i know personally that it has helped me a lot um, it's definitely been one of the biggest eye-opening books for me um, just understanding you know, the different level of consciousness that successful people hold themselves to. Um, this was another free choice. Um, and uh, again, well written uh, and 200% would recommend this book to anyone. Um, so thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed it.